Smashed into the net by Kylian Mbappe. Oh, Benyera, beautifully done. Cornet finds Dembele. The first touch is good. The second is deadly. Neymar still. Oh, my word, what a goal. Golovin. Lovely finish. Ajax delivery. Gendouzi's header. Here's an opportunity. Sanchez. Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta. Play it again. And Goldberg. Messi again. This time, maybe Messi's done it. As reliable as Grey John Kier at a crossbar challenge, as technically proficient as a pair of RC Lance assists, as entertaining as a first half between Ajaxio and Strasbourg, and as stoically professional as Paris Saint-Germain in the face of romantic underdogs Lorient, this is Le Beaujeu, the official Ligue 1 podcast, keeping you right up to date with everything you need to know about French football. I'm your host, Robbie Thompson. And joining me today, we have Ligue 1 commentator and AFP football journalist, Andy Scott. How are you, Andrew? Good morning, Robbie. I'm, I'm okay, thank you. The, the World Cup is, is getting closer and closer and closer, and it's, it's pretty much all I'm thinking of now. But um, yeah, it was, it was a good weekend of, of Ligue 1 football to pretty much sign off on one more to go, and then it'll be Qatar. Exactly. Well, Andy, and I don't think I've ever called you Andrew before. That felt very weird. Um, my mum calls me. Is, is you, it, you feel... <laughs> oh, still. Okay. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> so, Andy, half the Socceroos um, were born in Scotland or play there or played there before in the past. So I guess you, we all know who you'll be supporting in Qatar. <laughs> Anyone but England. Anyone but England. <laughs> Including Australia. <laughs> oh, come on. Yes. The Socceroos are up against the French. What's more? First up, we'll be chatting Les Bleus. Later on in the show, the last, uh, the last little segment of the show as well, we'll chat about Didier Deschamps' side, which will be announced on Wednesday, um, probably just about 24 hours after the Socceroos Scottish Influence squad is announced as well. We're also joined by Luke Entwistle, based on the south coast of France, journalist following all the Ligue 1 action, just about every other sport as well for Monaco Life. Luke, how are you? Morning. All good. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit like Andy. I'm, I'm not sure what I'm going to do after next week. There's a, just a, a big gap in my life for six weeks. What to fill it with? Oh, there's plenty to watch, at least. I mean, what what's the timing like in Europe? Is it good times? Here, the games go all night, from nine o'clock at night till six o'clock in the morning. Well, the, so it, it, there will be some kickoffs that are very complicated. Yeah, the timing in Europe should be considerably better than that. I think, I think there's two hours between here and Qatar, so... Uh, I think you, you've yeah. got games starting from from kind of lunchtime in Europe up until up until quite late in the evening, so it, it should be good. But for, for anybody who's who's working, of course, I think the, the chances are you'll miss a couple of games during the day, and but you'll be you'll be finished in time to tune into Mexico v Saudi Arabia. So all will be good. Are you going, Andy? When you're there, are you going to be jumping on the the new metro system and getting to more than one game a day? Is that the well, plan? Well, it's not the plan for me to go to more than one game a day because I think that would be a bit too much. But where I, I was in Qatar in 2019 for the Club World Cup, and they just opened the metro, and obviously it, it was very, very slick and very impressive. I suspect there might be a few more people on it this time. I'm not sure how Doha is going to cope um, with you know up to a million people there at, at one time. So that's going to be interesting to say the least exactly we went there with psg must be would have been about then maybe just before and we went on the metro before anyone else i remember spending the day uh well uh, as part of the day with tom Meunier and a couple of other players catching the the metro around and then uh getting the players to say how great it was of course <laughs> as 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 they do 
Don't forget to subscribe, follow us and send us all your questions about League and Football, about the World Cup coming up. We've got one more show next week where we'll try and answer that before we too go off into our World Cup hiatus. We'll be back before the end of the year as League and all kicks back into action. But send us your questions to league1podcast at gmail.com. Now, we've had a couple of massive matches over the weekend, with first playing fourth as PSG travelled to Lorient. Lille and Rennes locked horns, the two form teams in the division. And then there was the Olympico, Marseille and Lyon at the Stade Velodrome. But we're going to start our roundup, where else? But in Corsica, of course, where two relegation-threatened sides were going head-to-head, Ajaxio versus Strasbourg, the game of fear as it should have probably been known, Andy Scott. Two sides paralysed by everything that was at stake and the, the, the fear of the drop, which is, is coming. Let's have a listen to what happened. So who's going to take the free kick for Strasbourg? It's uh, delivered by Belgard and it's a stunning strike for the away side to take the lead with just five minutes played. Up and over the wall from 25 metres. Pull forward towards uh, Kevin Camero, the former French international, with an absolutely glorious lob over Benjamin Leroy. It's another superb goal from Camero, and Strasbourg 2-0 up already. The long ball flighted forward by Jiku, and Camero with the control on the chest, and he knew exactly where to place that. Benjamin Leroy ever so slightly off his line. He saw the little glance from Camero. A fifth goal of the campaign. This is Youssef Belayli. Nigerian international with the ball in. Now then, appeals for a handball. Well, the hand of Thomas Delen was very much raised and uh, out from his body. Yeah. And it is going to be a penalty for Ajaxio. Well, confirmation from uh, Mathieu Vernis, the young referee. Youssef Belayli then to take the penalty, the Algerian international star who joined the Corsican club just last month after leaving the Liga rivals Brest, looking for his first goal for his new club, and he tucks in the spot kick. There is hope again for Ajaxio as they reduce the deficit here. Strasbourg's lead now by two goals to one. And here come Ajaxio again. Roman Hamuma driving towards the penalty box, picking out Elidrisi, they've equalised! Absolutely incredible! Two goals in a minute. Straight from the kickoff, uh, fighting to win back possession. Roman Hamuma driving towards the penalty box, and all credit to Munaim Elidrisi. Really well taken goal. Jackson with newfound confidence could be in again. Yusuf Belayli through on goal, chance to make it 3 2. And an excellent save from Matt Sells. Still alive, perhaps, of Belayli. Down he goes, the referee with a big shake of the head. Was Yusuf Belayli fouled by Thomas Delen? Doesn't look like it, does it? The referee is going to come across and look at the VAR screen again. Was Belayli caught by Thomas Delen? Bear in mind that Mathieu Vernis, rather theatrical shake of the head at first, but he was convinced by the VAR to come across and look at it, and it's going to be another penalty for Ajaxio. 
Oh, this is astonishing. Ajaxio from 2-0 down. They lead by three goals to two. With six minutes still to play in the first half. Joseph Belaili on a hat-trick, of course. Really superb ball into the middle. And Ajaxio have scored again. Goodness me, Riyad Nuri with the goal. And it's 4-2. Youssef Belaili, who scored twice from the penalty spot. One of the penalties he won himself. Now providing the assist for the veteran, Riyad Nuri. Well, Strasbourg have to push men forward and they risk being caught out at the back here. Roman Hamouma to make it five. Down he goes under the challenge from Maxime Le Marchand. And uh, Mathieu Vernis, the referee, has seen enough. It's another spot kick for Ajaxio. And it's Bill Eilly, his third spot kick of the day. And he's put it wide. Well, he's run out of inspiration, it seems, Youssef Bill Eilly. Horribly miscued spot kick and a let-off for Strasbourg. Well, Andy... Recently, I think you called another potential game of the season with a, a little 4-3, didn't you, between Lille and Monaco? And yeah. here you are, six goals in 45 minutes. It was yeah. Ajaxio's 500th league game match, and uh, they were looking for that first home win, and mm -hmm. they got it, even though it didn't look like it was going to happen. Yeah, it, it was it was a, a crazy game of football. I mean, the, the funny thing is that Strasbourg in the previous two games had been 2-0 down and come back to draw 2-2. In this game, they were 2-0 up after 17 minutes and actually two really good goals. I mean, the, the free kick for the first one and then Kevin Gamera with just a, a sumptuous lobbed finish for the second goal, maybe just uh, reminding Didier Deschamps what he can do with a couple of days to go before the, the France squad is named for the World Cup, I'm not sure that he's going to be in there, but but he 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 is still a a great striker, and that at that point it looked like Strasbourg were going to sort of cruise to victory because Ajaxio had scored eight goals all season before um before that match on Saturday, so eight goals in 13 games, and then they scored four goals in the space of 15 minutes at the end of the first half. Uh, crazy, crazy scenes, and I mean, obviously you had over the course of the game three penalties. You know, Youssef Belaili missing the last one, so he he missed out on a hat trick, but. Three penalties, all of them awarded after um, lengthy VAR reviews, the red card at the end following a VAR review. So, I mean, you know, the three of us were talking, weren't we, before we started recording about the way in which VAR is changing the shape of the game. Um, I think in this instance, the, 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 the three penalties that were given, you know, they, they probably were all penalties. You know, you can't really say the referee was wrong to award penalties but obviously what's interesting is that he didn't award a penalty in any he didn't award a single penalties. penalty that's the thing in the first yeah. case and 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 the and the second one very theatrically shakes his head you know when when the challenge first happened so um it, it, it was it was quite i mean let, let's not get into a, a big debate about var you know on, on the basis of this but it was it was a tremendous game i mean there was a bit of a drop off in the second half but uh, tremendous match, you know, a memorable match and um, and and a really important win for Ajaxio because, as you said, it was their first home win this season. It's given them a big lift. Um, what's really remarkable, I mean, I think Ajaxio obviously expected to be down there this season. What is remarkable, and we've said this several times because, um, you know, one of one of our one of our pundits obviously um, tipped Strasbourg to finish in the top three <laughs> this season, and 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 here here we are now, 
in November, more than a third of the way through the season, they've managed just one win. And um, that's obviously very worrying for them. You know, they, they had quite a lot of fans who went down to that game in Corsica, given how far it is and, and how awkward it is to get to. A few hundred of them were there. And, and obviously, at the end, the Strasbourg players were going across to, to, to sort of talk to them. The fans looked very angry. It's the kind of scene you, you quite often get in, in, in French football when the ultras um, like to sort of speak their minds to the players and the players come across and look very apologetic. And, and, and you know, Strasbourg should be doing better than, than this. I know they, they exceeded expectations last season, but they've gone below expectations quite considerably this season, given the quality they have up front in particular. Their defence really let them down. And, and, you know, I think even though there were, there were three big talking points, three, three VAR penalties, I don't think they could really complain after the game. It was it was a very disappointing result for them. But yeah, a, a terrific game of football, and and it just shows that often it's it's the the ones that you don't expect that are the most entertaining ones. Absolutely, Luke. Uh, your eyes on the on this contest, but also we know that four sides are going down. And just looking at the at the ladder, I mean, Andy says they've only won one game, which is the least of any club in the division. But they've only lost six. And just looking a little higher up, eighth place Leon have also lost six. Ajaxio have now won three. They're in the relegation zone. And you can go up as, as high as 11th place Raus, who have also only won three. I mean, uh, is all the bottom half of the table involved still in this relegation dogfight? And is it going to go that way? You know, I mean, Nice in ninth uh, are only eight points above the relegation zone. Is this going to go all season? I think it's it's bound to. With four teams going down, I think it has to go all the way through. I mean, this game, I did not have this one on my on my list to watch this weekend, but is easily the most exciting match of the weekend. No, I mean, there's four goals there for Jatsia. I think no other team scored more than two the whole weekend. It, it wasn't a high score in the Egan weekend, so that was really the match to watch. But, I mean, I still worry for Jatsia. I still worry for, for most of the teams down there. I'd say from Brantz down, I think Clermont on 19, you, They've looked surprisingly quite solid and, and pretty good for the start of the season. So I think that they might just about be all right. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, Rance, I think, will be okay. Um, we might get on to talk about their strike force a little bit later, but I think that might take them over the line. But maybe from Toulouse downwards, I think every one of those teams is in there, even Nonsen and Strasbourg, who at the start of the season, there's no way you would have said that they'd be in the, in the relegation dogfight, but, but there they are. And I think there they will be until quite close to the end of the season. Probably the, the biggest thing working in a team like Nice or Clermont or even, even Reims and Toulouse perhaps is just that there are so many other teams behind them that yes, they could get sucked in, but there, there are so many other variables going into, into each round and not everyone's going to pick up points. So, but, I, but I think this is going to be a, a, a massive quagmire of sides that are going to really struggle to pull away from, from the relegation zone this season. I think there's a couple in there already that you kind of, two maybe that you could say, I, I think they're probably really struggling. I mean, Angers are the obvious one. I, I saw them at the Stade Louis de last weekend and uh, I didn't see anything that made me think that they could get out of the trouble that they're currently finding themselves in. We've been working miracles the last few years as well on a, on a club that's been, you know, without its fans as they rebuilt their stadium, they've They've sold off their squad each year for about the last three years as well. This year, perhaps just one bridge too far for Angers, but they do look uh, in all sorts of trouble at the bottom. Elsewhere, Ligue 1's two informed sides also met in week 14. Rennes were looking for six wins in a row as they travelled to Lille. 
a little side looking for a fourth win on the bounce and to keep their charge up the table continuing. Matt Spiro was calling the action. Gomez goes short to Cabela. Back to Bomba. Oh, it's a great ball in. And surely Lila could have scored. They have done. Jose Font pounces. A lot of hesitancy in the heart of the Ren defence there. It was a clever corner routine. But Genesio will not be happy with the lack of a reaction inside the six-yard box. Andre Gomez flipping the ball over the top of the defence. A really bad mistake from Mondonda. Artur Teat didn't react. Didn't react quickly enough anyway. Jose Font did. Yeah, it's a, it's a shocker for Mondonda. Now more possibilities for Lille. Remy Cabela. Cabela into the box. The shot and the save from Mondonda. That's better from the uh, French international custodian. Getting down quickly to block that shot from Cabela. Font and Jallo both in the box. Again, it's a corner routine. Cleverly done, and again, it's very dangerous. Mondonda pushing the ball away from the danger zone. The referee has received a message. Now, what's this about? Going to go and have a look at something. Well, yeah, that's a, it's a big risk. Jonathan Bomber's got his arms around the uh, Ren defender, Christopher Wu. He's going to give a penalty. Penalty to Ren. Now, Martin Terrier out injured. It's Benjamin Bourgeau stepping up from the penalty spot. Only three out of six he's converted. Booze for the former Lance man. Benjamin Bourgeau steps up and draws right level. It's a big goal for Genesio's team. They were being outplayed for much of the game until now. They've been gifted this penalty really by Bomber's foul and Bourgeau dispatched it beautifully. Bourgeau sending him the wrong way. Lille one, Ren one. All to play for now. Five minutes to go in this one. On oh, a big opportunity, it's off the post from Jallo. We should really have scored. The flag has stayed down. Yeah, Jallo's onside. Beautifully crossed by Adam Unas. It's got to be scoring there, Thiago Jallo. This is Unas. Rather Cabela it was. This is Unas. Good cross from Unas. Oh, it's off the post again. Unbelievable. Bomba. Bomba. This time, Mondonda saves. Well, Ren are hanging on just about here. Brilliant cross that from Adam Unas. If uh, David had got a touch on it, the ball surely would have been in. Then Bomba getting the shot away, Mondonda getting down. 
Clear by Timothy Weir. The flag stayed down. Is this Jonathan David's moment? He's put it away. But the flag is raised. Brilliant finish from David. He must have thought in the back of his mind that he was offside. Now, will that be confirmed here? David. Oh, it's very close. It's very, very close. This is Unas. Unas uh, fouled by Bergamailing. For the second time today, VAR has intervened, and for the second time today, the referee has taken action. Red card for Berger Mailing of Wren. He's only been on the pitch for uh, a few minutes. Cabela's delivery. Oh, the header of Mondondo with the save. Brilliant from the goalkeeper. Look at this from Mondonda. The header by Benjamin Andre. Brilliant reflexes. So, Andy, to you first on this one. Uh, there was plenty of goal mouth action. Lille dominated a Ren side that have been in fantastic form, a Ren side that, that were also playing in Europe, and, and we'll talk about the European results as well. But Ren lucky to survive this one. And a strange match with a, a big mistake from Stev Mondonda. There was a, a, another controversial penalty call as well where the referee waved it away. Uh, after a big dive that he clearly saw. Then VAR came back and he turned his decision around. But my question, Andy, is, are these two sides the biggest threat to Lens in that, in that race to be the best of the rest? Um, well, I, I mean, I suppose the, 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 the caveat is that season is about to go into hibernation and, and it's really, really hard to say what's going to happen when everybody comes back. I mean, things will be reset some teams might really benefit from it. You think of Lyon and, and you know other clubs who've maybe not had a great start to the season. Nice, for example. Um, I I think that you know Ren are a very good team, and that that is that is obvious. You know we 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 saw them have a, a couple of disappointing results at the start of the season, and now they remain unbeaten since Lens beat them at the end of August. I'm, I'm not sure how many games that is now, but it's 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 been what's it ten games in the league anyway, plus the European run. So. Um, it's, it's been a very good run of results for them. I know their winning run came to an end in that match in Lille, but as you say, Lille have been improving considerably too. You know, they were they were unlucky to lose in Lyon last weekend and 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 you know held here, but they are. Um, I think the derby I, I, win over Lens as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm just trying to sort of work out: are, are they doing as well as we expected? Are they doing better than we expected? I mean, you know, given the focus was on other clubs, I think in in the summer, obviously the likes of Lyon and. And Marseille and Monaco, as always is, and and given the number of players that Lille lost, you know, essentially their title-winning team from only eighteen months ago has has been completely broken up now. There are only two or three players left, aren't there? Jose Font, <clears throat> Benjamin Andre, Jonathan Bamba. That's about it. Um, it. It's a new team with a new coach. But I mean, you mentioned the Lille Monaco game, which which I was at a couple of weeks ago. That was tremendous fun. Uh, they are an entertaining team to watch going forward, and um, you know they, they're doing well, but. I, I'm not sure that Lille are going to actually finish much higher than they are in the table right now. I think when you look at teams like Monaco, um, obviously Rennes and, and, and one or two others, you know, let's see what Lyon and Nice do. I think it's still going to be hard for Lille to qualify for Europe. I think certainly Lille would take any European qualification. I think if they finished uh, in fifth place and went into the Europa Conference League, that would be uh, a fine season for them. I think given what Rennes have spent in recent years, given their ambitions, given the fact that they have been regulars in qualifying for Europe in recent seasons. I think they want to be finishing at least fourth, but there is so much competition. 
uh, for these European places. And 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 uh, as I say, I think it's just really, really, really hard to say what's going to happen after after this this what's it, six week break for the World Cup. I mean, the the games on the twenty eighth of December. That's when Liga returns. Uh, Ten days after the World Cup final, they could be fairly chaotic and 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 a bit you know very interesting because you know who knows what is going to happen between now and then. So um, let's let's reserve judgment for now. Maybe Strasbourg will get up into that podium place. <laughs> and on the the late charge, well, they they uh, won't have as many players involved as as others perhaps in the World Cup as well. Luke, on this on this idea of the the split and with one game remaining, how many eyes are going to be on the World Cup next weekend in this in this round fifteen of Ligue 1? And, and how is that going to have a big effect on on who plays first of all, but also how they play? I mean, there are going to be a lot of players who will know that they're on their way because all the squads are being announced more or less this week, so they're going to know they're on the plane or not on the plane. And uh, and how is that going to affect the matches this weekend? Well, you say how many eyes are on it. Seemingly quite a few eyes at PSG are already on that because Christophe Galtier came out post-match and said that uh, he felt as though they were kind of restraining themselves. They kind of were a bit fearful almost of going into some tackles. Um, so I think it's already affecting the games. I mean, I, I feel as though there's going to be slightly less physicality than we see usually in Ligue 1. Ligue 1 is known for being a very physical league. I don't think we're going to see that quite to the same extent in this final game week because... As Galtier rightly says, and I have a bit of sympathy for him here, he's saying that you know players are seeing other players get injured every every other day at the minute. It's someone else is, is injured out of the World Cup, and, and that's going to weigh in the minds of players who whose dream it is, of course, to go to the World Cup and who don't want to miss it because of you know, a hamstring being pulled in, in the final game before the World Cup. And obviously, this schedule has been so 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 tight to fit in this World Cup in the middle of the season, and it's getting into winter anyway. And it, I think it's just a combination of factors that mean that players are actually quite vulnerable right at this moment in time of picking up little niggles. And a little niggle at this point is going gonna, gonna to rule you out. So um, I think we'll see slightly less physicality perhaps than we usually see. And um, yeah, I, I think we already saw a little bit of that last weekend. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think on that, I, th- I mean, PSG, you know, I know we'll talk about PSG's game in a, in a moment, but PSG's last match is, next weekend is against Auxerre. And I, I, given that they have this five-point lead at the moment in the table. There's probably a case for Christophe Galtier to to rest all the really big guns and and, and really, you know, a home game against Osera is one they should be winning anyway, right? Now, um, a lot of teams in Liga will be affected by the World Cup, but none of them anything like to the same extent as Paris Saint-Germain. And <clears throat> I think the injuries thing is is really significant, you know? I mean, I, mean uh, I actually ruptured my calf muscle in June playing five-a-sides just playing a five-yard pass, the, the muscle just exploded. And I have not run far less play football since then. That's four and a half months ago. Um, now, no professional footballers will be getting better treatment than I have and they'll be back quicker, but you're still talking two or three months, you know? So it is It is not just, you know, at this point, if somebody, it can happen very easily. And if it happens next weekend, it's not just the World Cup they miss, it's possibly a chunk of the games after the World Cup too. And I think, you have to sometimes put yourself in, in the minds of these footballers that, I mean, Lionel Messi is an obvious one, right? I mean, he is arguably the greatest player of all time. This is his last chance to win the World Cup and it could all be gone just like that with an injury, you know, next weekend or or maybe in one of the first games out in Qatar. So these things have to be weighing on the minds of these players and and, and I think it will have a big impact on, on, on the matches next weekend. I, I really sympathise. I mean, 
you know, we might get the chance to go to the World Cup for, you know, as a fan or, or, or for work, you know, in, in 10, 20 years time. But a footballer's window is very short, you know, and, and they can't afford to to let it go. So I think the, the next round of game, I, I mean, you know, you have to say, really, it's, 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 it's crazy they're playing league games next weekend, six days before the World Cup, seven days before the World Cup starts. Absolutely crazy. But here we are. This is the situation that, that, that we find ourselves in, that the leagues found themselves in. They had no choice. We've also seen six rounds of, of European football as well, which normally doesn't finish till mid to late December. That's all finished in, in the first week of November as well. We always used to say that, that the World Cup was so tough on English and England and because of the Premier League and sides of so many players in the Premier League, just because the intensity was so long. And at the end of 38 rounds of Premier League football, all the players were, were broken or on the verge of being broken anyway. And so the World Cup, it was it was hard. And when you looked at a, a Germany where so many Bundesliga players played two or four rounds less, you know, less less matches in the league as well, and and perhaps with Bayern Munich they could contain themselves a little bit uh, a little bit more anyway. So that at least that's been removed this time round. Everyone's going to be exhausted in theory, <laughs> after <laughs> except Scott Scotland Australia. I, I, I don't like the fact that England's only mitigating factor has been taken away from them. So uh, yeah, that worries me a little bit. In other results, on Friday night, for the first time in over 15 years, Trois and Auxerre met in the top flight. The evergreen, Ronnie Lopez, he still looks about 21. He gave Trois what looked like being a much-needed win before Gaetan Perrin equalised for Policier's side. Auxerre undefeated under their new boss. Bottom club Angers entertained high flying loss. Yes, go. Hold on, Andy. hold on, hold on. I, 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 um, I, I object to calling Ronnie Lopez evergreen. He's only twenty six. He's only twenty six. I don't think you can be evergreen. Is he only twenty six? Yeah. <laughs> oh well, that's why he only looks twenty one then. I don't think you can be evergreen. Until I was looking like back. I, I, I had to pull up his file. <laughs> to pull up his file because I was thinking. Now he's a he's Manchester City originally. If he's playing at Trois now, it has to be something to do with Citigroup. But he's played for, for Lille. He's played for Monaco a couple of times. He's, he's played... Where else did he play in France? He's played somewhere else. Well, he, he was nice, Mon- Monaco, Lille, Nice. Yeah, and, 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 but he, yeah, he's, he's so, still, uh, he still belongs to... And then to, Seville. He still belongs to Sevilla. He's just never really played for Sevilla. And they've loaned him out again to, to Trois. So, you know, he's only 26. He's, well, he's, had a, he's, had a, he's only 26. Sorry. He's, yeah. uh, he's the... the, the the young, sprightly 26-year-old Ronnie <laughs> Lopez, who's been in French football for a long time <laughs> and, and played for four different clubs already at the age of 26 in a foreign country. So, they <laughs> bottom club Angers, just to keep moving then, we're up against Lens. Um, I really wanted to talk about the assists for, for Lens because there was something, they weren't the most spectacular, but technically they were both unexpected, and very difficult to control. Uh, Florence Sotoka's pass for Wesley Said is just brilliant. And I think he is, he is becoming more and more underrated only because he's becoming more, better and better, if you like. I mean, when he first arrived in the top flight, he was a, a good, honest, hard-running. I think he finished top scorer in Ligue 2 with Lens when they were promoted. He was, he was good in the air. He ran hard. He's an honest footballer. But he's starting to show that he's a lot more than just a, an honest footballer. He is a leader mm-hmm. in this long side. And Kevin Danzo's assist with a bouncing ball 
for a header back across the face of goal was also brilliant. But let's have yeah. a word about Florence Sotoka before Blasic got a consolation goal in that one. But but let's give Sotoka some some love here, Andy. Yeah, I, I've got a soft spot for Florian Sotoka because he used to work um, at uh, Motorway Toll, uh, which I used to do for a couple of days once uh, at one point when I was younger. So I've got a, a soft spot for him in that regard. And, and a guy with a, a really kind of unusual... Uh, backstory, as you say, I mean, he hadn't, he'd, he'd hardly played in league. I know he had a, a, a couple of games for Montpellier several years ago, but he'd not really played in league until he came up with Lens a couple of years back. And, and what he's done with them is incredible. Uh, I think he played at the, did he play at the World Student Games for France or something like that? I, th- I think he did, you know, uh, really? earlier in his career. Check that. Check that, listeners. But I'm pretty sure yeah, that he did. I will. Uh, Is that the uh, university games? Yes. Or yeah. It's, student it's, games. It's but you know it's buried yeah. in my commentary notes somewhere, and I, I can't remember off the top of my head. But I'm pretty <laughs> sure that he played in the world student games and possibly scored in the final. You know, eight nine years ago. Um, it's it's not impossible that I'm going mad because because that 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 may also be the case. But but he's had a very interesting backstory, and 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 I think it's um testament to the the work of Honk is as a coach as well. What he's got out of Florian Sotoka. I mean, that was a great assist for the first goal. Um, he, he offers so much to that team. He is a leader. He's popped up with some really important goals this season. The only game that Lance have lost actually was was the game which he missed a penalty. But um, he, he's he's really impressive. And and you know, it's it's. I mean, you, you, you called Ronnie Lopez evergreen. I think Florian Sotoka is, is slightly more really is evergreen uh, deserving of, <laughs> of, of 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 being described as evergreen. Uh, but you know, he's he's. Yeah, he's done fantastically well. And as I say, it just shows you what Lance have done. They're more than the sum of their parts. For them to be where they are in the table, you know, five points behind PSG, but five points ahead of everybody else. Uh, Franck Ez was sort of playing down the talk of them qualifying for Europe at the weekend. I mean, we are still in a situation where if Lance finish in the top five and qualify for Europe at all, that will be fantastic for them. I think any European competition they get into, the stadium will be packed, their fans will love it. Um, but we're also getting to the stage now where it's going to become more and more disappointing if they if they fail to qualify for Europe and even if they fail to qualify for the Champions League because some of their fans will be starting to dream and they've been in the Champions League before you know I mean in the early two thousands they were they were oh, yeah. appearing in the they Champions League time. they were playing playing the likes of Bayern Munich and and had that famous win against Arsenal at Wembley in the late nineties so um, they've got that history and I, I think it would be tremendous to see Lens in 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 a big European competition next season. AS Monaco, fresh from a great win over Red Star Belgrade, which saw them through in Europe. They backed up with a 2-0 win away to Toulouse. And uh, Luke, there were a couple of good goals in this one as well. Alexander Golovin with a great finish. I, I like Alexander Golovin. I don't think we're yet really to have seen the best of him, not not consistently over a whole season anyway. And Briel Mbolo got his uh, third in four as well, seven goals this season. How are Monaco tracking? Back on track after that little waiver? Yeah, there's a little blip, wasn't there, in the middle of the season? I think there's, there's been a couple already this season, but both times they've managed to bounce back. I think, yeah, the, the goal scorers in, in this are quite interesting, Golovin and Mbola, because they're both limited by the same factors, uh, and that's their, their own bodies, basically, because Golovin, since his arrival in the Principality, has not been able to string together any run of form, any run of games, really, because of injury issues. Uh, likewise with Mbolo in Germany, he's had so many injury issues and that's what's limited his career because he really burst on the scene in Euro 2016, linked with basically every big club throughout Europe. And then um, it just didn't end up happening for him. And he stayed in the Bundesliga for a while and is now in Monaco. But both of them have looked brilliant this season. I think that's 
credit to the medical department at Monaco and uh, Monaco and, and Philippe Clement speak about this regularly, how they're getting their schedules right to keep them in the peak physical form because both of those two players fit and firing and being able to string together those matches, uh, I think it makes a big, big difference for Golvin. And Golvin scored basically an identical goal against Belgrade in midweek. It's absolutely beautiful goal. He really cuts in on his right just outside the box. And it's it's the curl, but it's also the, the trajectory of it. It's so difficult to say because it's coming from quite a height and then it's coming down kind of over the goalkeeper. So there's very, very little you can do. I mean, I've seen him try that at least 30 times and most of them balloon over the bar. But if he can get more of them under the bar, uh, that's a real asset for, for Monaco. So obviously Monaco back on track. I, I think they'll be right in there. We keep mentioning different teams of the Champions League spaces. Uh, that will be a team that I would, thoroughly expect to be around there by the end of the season and they already are there now after having a bit of a, a waiver that left them in mid-table but they'll be there or thereabouts and I think if they can keep players like Gullivan and like Mbolo fit and they get the best out of them then uh, I, I think it really maximises their chances. That was Toulouse's first home loss in five. Another side that enjoyed joy in Europe in midweek was Nice and they added to Brest's woes Sofiane Diop, a former Monaco man. Uh, with a long-range effort that deflected off Gaten Laborde and into the net, Lucien Favre's side now undefeated in five and into the top half of the table. Quite remarkable. And if there's any inspiration for Strasbourg to be had, they just need to look at what uh, Les Rouges Noirs are doing. Laborde with three goals in a week now, and Brest have won just one in their last 11. Clermont conceded an early penalty at home to Montpellier, dispatched with uh, typical aplomb from Teji Savigny. Komnum Andrich and Grejon Kier both missed penalties for the home side, but the Serbian Andrich did manage to get on the score sheet for a fourth time this season. It finished 1-1 in that one. Montpellier just about managing to break that five-game losing streak. Reims had England under-21 striker Folloran Balogun to thank. The on-loan Arsenal player's third penalty, eighth goal this season, enough to secure all three points against Nantes. The Canaries having their wings clipped after a stunning win in midweek away to Olympiacos. And Reims, amazingly Andy, still unbeaten since the sacking of coach Oscar Garcia. The results weren't there under the Spaniard, who also struggled at Saint-Étienne in his first uh, stint in French football. But uh, Balogun, he is really turning heads. Yeah, eight goals for him now. Really impressive. Um, another another VAR penalty, I believe, actually, in, in, in that game. For Rance to beat Nantes, I mean, yeah, they they held um, they held PSG to nil nil draw at the beginning of last month, and that was when Oscar Garcia was back in Spain for personal reasons, back in Barcelona for for personal reasons, and um, uh, Will still was was standing in at that point, taking charge of the team. I thought they were really well organised. They they battled really hard defensively. It occurred to me that they seem to have this ability to keep bringing through defenders because when you look at the guys that they've, I mean, they sold Vout Fies to Leicester City at the beginning of the season. Uh, he was Leicester's replacement for Wesley Fofana when he went to Chelsea. Before that, of course, they've had the guys like Axel Dizassi, now at Monaco. Um, Bjorn Engels, a few years ago, was a really good player for them, went on to play in the Premier League for a bit with Aston Villa. So they've done really well at bringing through defenders, and they've got one or two really good centre-backs now, still being sort of marshalled by the the evergreen Yunus Abdelhamid, who is who is very much evergreen, I think, Yunus <laughs> Abdelhamid. evergreen, absolutely. Um, <laughs> so I think, you know, and and then, of course, they got a nil-nil draw with, with Lorient just after that, didn't they? And and there's another clean sheet for them yesterday 
Um, so results picking up for them. I mean, they're a side who are always likely to be probably lower mid-table at best. That would count as a good season for them. And um, But what, one of these days we're going to have to talk about Will still because uh, he's, you know, he's yeah. very, for, for a coach, he is very much the opposite of Evergreen. He's he's 30 um, and, and now he finds himself on the bench. He's, you know, he's he's a very young coach. Um, was at Reims, went away, was was working at Standard Liège back in his native Belgium last season and has come back again. And, and now he's got his chance on the bench. So we'll see, obviously, what Reims choose to do beyond the, the break for the World Cup. Will they will they keep faith in Will still? Will he still be there, ETC? Or will somebody else um, be in charge? But yeah, for now, it's encouraging for them. I think also uh, a disappointing result for not that because they, they did really well in Europe in, in, in midweek to get through with the win against Olympiacos and the other result in their group going their way. A uh, big achievement for them to be in the, in the Europa League knockout phase, but their league form is disappointing. They've not won an away game this season. They're only a point above the bottom four and they need to sort that out. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think there's a discussion to be had about what benefits sometimes there is for, for French sides being in Europe. I mean, Marseille's form has, has dropped off a cliff. Uh, I think being out of the Champions League, even though the, the circumstances around it were uh, a little bit uh, embarrassing, is maybe slightly too strong a word, but uh, it wasn't a great look to go out in the way that Marseille did. It was disappointing. We'll that. It was disappointing. Uh, in midweek. Yeah. So, um, yeah, <laughs> I, I think for them, that might be a slight benefit to not have European competition. Same with Nantes. I think it was always going to be a struggle, especially when there was very little investment in the squad over the summer for them to play every three or four matches. And I think that's showing. I think they have been outperforming a little bit in Europe and then underperforming a little in the league. Um, I think over the course of the season, as we get towards the back end of the season, as they probably get knocked out of the Europa League maybe in the next stage or, or, or the stage after that, I think that their league performances will improve and they'll find themselves comfortably mid-table. But um, yeah, currently, then for the, looking at the table, it's a little bit worrying. Uh, they're quite quite far down there. So a uh, bit of work to do. They are. They're in, they're in a fair bit of trouble. We're going to chat about Marseille and Les Bleus coming up later as well. But before then, early on Sunday... 1 p.m. kickoff. We know Paris Saint-Germain and the big teams don't like 1 p.m. kickoffs on a on a Sunday, early on a Sunday. But PSG were looking to continue their unbeaten start to the season against a Lorient side, despite the fact that they were winless in their last three, are without a doubt the surprise package of the season. Jeremy Clayman called all the action. We'll go. Well, showing a level of confidence that could be seen as madness. Because Ugo Ekateki plays it to Neymar and Paris leads Alamoustois. A calamity for Mavogo and Le Merlu. The Brazilian has struck again. Suspended against Juve. Back with a goal in Liga Uber Eats. It's a horror show though for Lorient creating their own problems and they trail to the champions. Vincent Lagoff linking with Lebris back to the captain. Takes a touch, has a look up. And Ponso fires over from a very inviting position. Kalulu. Lovely Ponso. Great change of direction. Vitinha fouls him, but advantage played. Vincent Legoff, Terry Murphy. Oh, it's a beautiful words chance. 
The Nigerian brings Le Moussoir to life. Les Merleaux are back on level terms. Advantage played. And Lorient took full advantage. Terry Moffi, step over. The ball through from Enzo Lefay. And the Nigerian international smashes home his ninth of the campaign. Being cancelled out by the brilliant work of Enzo Lefay. And of course, Terry Moffi. And now. Theo Lebris with a chance to deliver. Cuts in onto his right. Oh, it's off the crossbar. Terran Muffy, so close to a second. Ball whipped in. It's just past the far post. It's Danilo at the near post, but it comes off the head of Tango Watara. Neymar from the other side, Danilo! Five goals last term. This is the first in Liga Nuberitz. This campaign for Danilo, and it's a big goal that puts Paris back in the lead. Brilliant delivery from Neymar. And once Danilo was in front of goal, a clinical header from the Portuguese international. Vito Manoni with absolutely no chance. Luke, we're going to talk quickly about this one because we've still got a lot to get through. But Terra Moffi equalised after that Neymar goal. He then hit the crossbar as well. Um, Lorient, what was really nice about what Lorient did, because it's not easy coming up against Paris Saint-Germain. I think they've won only one of their last 15, but they did do that at home. One of their last 15 against PSG, um, which was a couple of years ago, where Terra Moffi starred again. But, you know, he scored, a, he scored a wonderful goal, but as Kevin Gamero and Jean-Richner Belgard can, can also attest, it doesn't count for much to score a great goal when you lose. But, but Lorient can still take plenty of positives from this, don't you think? I mean, 100%. Um, we've seen that drop-off now. Um, they are now maybe slightly more like, well, they're probably still quite a bit ahead of where we'd expect them to be at this point in the season. I think we would be honest in saying that. Lots of us tip them for relegation. But even in this recent streak of this recent winless streak where they failed to win some some difficult matches, there's still been massive positives. Nobody would have expected them to beat PSG. Uh, they've just come into a, a difficult part of their schedule, which was quite foreseen. But what they've shown in those matches is that what preceded it was not a fluke. Um, despite the lack of results, the performances have still been there. The individual performances as well as the collective performances have still been there. Enzo Lefay is still looking great. Terry Moffi, who who've sp- spoken about nine goals now in the league, is still looking great. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's really all quite positive for Lorient, despite this this defeat. I think they were maybe slightly unlucky. Um, it wasn't a game of, of many, many chances. And it was reliant on a, on a Danilo late goal to, to settle it. So, I, I think, yeah, overall, very, very positive for, for Lorient. I still don't see them getting really any European football, but I think what constitutes success for them is a top-half finish and uh, some of their young players, because it's a very young squad developing and probably being sold on for a massive profit in the summer. And he PSG watch, there was no Lionel Messi. There may not be any Lionel Messi next week either. As you mentioned, there's a big World Cup and an important World Cup coming for him. 
Neymar said after the game that the more physical it gets, the more people try and tackle him, the more he wants to dribble at them. Um, we saw that at the last World Cup as well. Lots of contact, lots of lots of rolling around. Yeah. Um, he's almost got that out of his game a little bit this season. I mean, and this season he has been in spectacular form. Maybe he's, they haven't caught him as much and and mm. been able to tackle him as much. But but what's how do you see? This this PSG side and keep it on PSG in league at the moment because Kylian Mbappe didn't have the greatest of games either uh, against Lorient. Um, what do you make of that that front three? I mean, yes, the World Cup is obviously a hugely imposing factor in in what's happened the last couple of weeks and what's going to happen mm-hmm. in the next week as well. But are they still looking as good as everyone thought in those that first month of the season? Well, it's been a bit more. Um, <clears throat> they've been they've been interrupted because because each of them has has sat out games, particularly Neymar and, and I know Neymar was suspended against Juventus in the Champions League game in midweek, and Messi's missed a few matches here and there. They've been particularly wary of 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 not injuring him. I, I, I mean, I'd be interested to know what the conversations are there. To what extent they're saying to Messi, "Don't worry, but you know, we're going to make sure you're okay for the World Cup." You know, and how does that conversation play out? Because most of the time, club coaches would say the priority has to be on 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 the club. You know. Um, and I think in Messi's case, that's not the case at the moment. Obviously, he's been using the the, the club games to make sure he is in uh, the best possible shape for the World Cup. But he's also, you know, sitting out games as a result of that. Now, um, there are there have been times this season when the three of them have just been magnificent. I mean, I was at the the Champions League game against Maccabi Haifa a couple of weeks ago. It was like an exhibition game, really, because PSG were so good, but at the same time, Maccabi Haifa were very limited and and you know nothing like good enough to compete with. PSG, but some of the football that those three were playing together with each other was just magnificent uh, in that match. And, um, you know, it will be, it's been a great start to the season. I mean, I know at the weekend we saw Hugo Ikitike coming in and getting a rare start. Um, I've talked about Ikitike before. I, I don't understand it. I don't understand um, really why PSG had to take him at this point. And, um, you know, it's only, I think, the second or third game that he started. Uh, I see that he got a rating of four in, in, in L'Equipe uh, this morning for his performance. I mean, very hard for him to make an impact coming into that PSG side on um, such a rare occasion to, to, to start the game. But it is going to be, you know, and I've said this several times already in this podcast, but it's going to be really interesting to see what happens after the World Cup with Messi, Mbappe and, and, and Neymar. I mean, um, I hadn't really made the link until a couple of days ago, but I've been thinking about the World Cup and, and everybody's been saying, actually, you know, the three big favourites are France, Argentina and Brazil. So Mbappe's France, Messi's Argentina, Neymar's Brazil. Each one of them is is the big star. Um, the France team, you can maybe say Benzema, you know, shares the, the limelight with Mbappe, but each of them, the big star for their country and each of their countries are among the big favourites to win the World Cup. They can't all win the World Cup. What kind of frame of mind are they going to be in after the World Cup? I mean, you know, you talk about Neymar provoking defenders and, and 2018 rolling around on the ground. I mean, I was in Brazil in 2014 uh, and the trauma for that nation when he suffered that injury in the quarterfinal against Colombia, you know, and, and that was caused by him provoking defenders and the Colombians <laughs> deciding they were not going to have any of that. Now, these th- I mean, it's possible that Brazil and Argentina will play each other in the semifinals. You know, if they each win their group, and I know we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but can you imagine that a Messi against Neymar World Cup semi final? Oh, we had the Copa, the Copa America but, final last yeah, time. But, out was that wasn't? But it? this is on yeah. a this is on a different scale, Robbie. You know, and and um, so yeah. so that's possible. And 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 then two weeks after that, you'd have you'd have um, you know Messi and Neymar <laughs> supposedly coming back in PSG playing Strasbourg on a chilly 
um, freezing late December night at the Parc des Princes. So I, I, I think the, the immediate off, offshoot of that is that there's very little chance that any of these guys will play in the first league game back after the World Cup. Uh, there's quite the possibility that some of them will not play this weekend. Um, but they have been, when they've been on the game, when they've all been on the field, they've been magnificent um, this season for PSG. But as I say, you know, they, they, they will have the World Cup in the, they will have had the World Cup in the back of their minds for a long time. So let, let's see. I mean, it's, it's nearly 10 o'clock on Monday morning here in Paris. In a couple of hours, it's the draw for the last 16 of the Champions League. That's another thing to talk about because the fact they missed out on winning their group means that they are exposed to a very, very tough yeah. draw in the Manchester last 16 of the Champions well. League. Possibly Real Madrid again. Very possibly a Bayern. Bayern Munich, Munich are yes. big favourites, yeah. Bayern, yeah. Bayern is, is uh, you know, your possibility Manchester City. So um, we're going to have time to talk about that. But, you know, that's that's another thing that PSG are going to have to think about. You know, the, the, the fact is that they really have to get beyond the last 16 of the Champions League this time. So they'll need Messi, Neymar and Mbappe to be working together, pulling in the right direction. Um, but that's, listen, that's a long way off. That's three months away, these these games. So, you know, we'll have plenty of time to, to talk about them. Very quickly, Luke. Yeah, delving back into the hypothetical very, very briefly. Um, obviously, Mbappe has described his relationship with Neymar as hot and cold previously. I don't think if they come up against each other and maybe a World Cup final that that will do their relationship any good either. So we'll see what happens there. But uh, I think that's also a slightly interesting hypothesis uh, as Andy has rightly brought up because it can change the dynamic within the squad coming back from the World Cup and, and that's a factor. I'm not I'm not sure. I don't I don't have that same uh, cynic cynicism as as you two about it. I remember the the pictures of of Neymar and and Paredes and Messi after the Copa America final all having a all having a sit down and a chat after. But I mean that was a different. big that was a big moment for Messi as well. Yes, it is it different. It is different and, 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 and they've all won Copper Americas now. Yeah, and and also and also sorry, just I know you <laughs> want to move on just to finish in this. I mean also I think that the factor is that for Neymar and I Messi, want to move on for you guys. You guys are the ones yeah, that no, are, no. have the day starting in, in, in France. I know, I know, I know. But just <laughs> just on Neymar, I think Neymar and Messi in particular, I mean Bappe's already won the World Cup. Uh you know, he will probably have one or two other World Cups, but this is probably the last certainly for Messi and possibly for Neymar as well. I mean, he's hinted at that. Oh, too. Neymar's so, 30 now. Yeah. yeah so, so um, you know, you're right about the Copa America final and stuff, but this is different. This is the World Cup and it's their chance, possibly their last chance to win it for each of them. And I think that does, um, that does increase the pressure quite considerably. You're listening to Andy Scott and Luke Entwistle on Le Beaujeu. Time for our Deja Who. And I've been too nice in recent weeks. Uh, plenty of correct answers. So this one's a tough one. Let's get straight into it. If you know the answer, send us an email to league1podcast at gmail.com. You have to answer, who am I? And then also the bonus question. And next week, we will have our final uh, November quiz. Uh, all correct answers will be announced after the World Cup with the shirt on the line. Who am I? Plucked from the anonymity of my homeland's third division by the reigning French champions... I arrived in Ligue 1 at the age of 22 and my career took off under the coaching of a French football legend. I spent four seasons in France winning the Ligue 1 title, the Trophée des Champions and a runners-up medal in the Coupe de France. My career continued to grow when I left France and returned home, becoming part of a legendary club side and almost helping my country to a first international triumph. Who am I? 
and what special place do I hold, along with my teammates and the opposition, in World Cup history? There you go. So a tricky World Cup-inspired uh, one for everyone at home. If you think you know the answer, get on to us. Send us the emails at league1podcast at gmail.com. Final match of the round, the Olympico. While Europe was good for most French clubs, it certainly wasn't for Olympic de Marseille, bundled out in the last seconds by Tottenham. And uh, they were looking to bounce back against a Lyon side under their new coach, Larry White. Andy Scott, it was a busy weekend for you. You were calling the action. A lot of uh, passes going astray in the early stages, but space now for Nuno Tavares to run into. The ball in behind Malogusto for Amin Harit to play it across the face of goal, surely... And it's uh, Nicolas Taliafico who gets an absolutely crucial touch on that ball. Sheng is under, trying to keep it alive, but look at this from Taliafico. Well, good build-up play from Marseille, bringing the stadium to life again. Gigo comes forward for this. Swinging ball, there's the header from Samuel Gigot. And the velodrome erupts. Marseille take the lead just before half-time. Samuel Gigot gets his second league on goal since joining Marseille. He netted in the win here against Lille in September. That's what it means to him, starting tonight in place of the injured Eric Bay. And we have uh, a situation similar to that of midweek against Tottenham in the Champions League here when it was a header from a corner that led to the opening goal just before the break in that game. The question now will be, can Marseille build on this and go on and claim what would be a huge victory for them? Kakare's delivery turned over the bar by Paulo Lopez. The first save that the Marseille goalkeeper has had to make Was heading into the top corner. Payet is on. It's not long for Dimitri Payet to turn on the magic. Even at 35, of course, he can still produce something very special. Throw in taking quickly. Payet again. That's oh, a lovely bit of skill from Dimitri Payet. Close with the cross in. There's the header at the near post from Alexis Sanchez. Is just wide. Didn't really get any uh, proper connection on it. Genduzzi. Fine play from Matteo Genduzzi. Can he go all the way? Anthony Lopez with the save. Fantastic one-two with Alexis Sanchez. And Cherky hits it. And it flashes just wide. Well, that had Paulo Lopez panicking. I think Ryan Cherky was just hoping maybe that that shot would get a touch on its way. Dimitri Payet marking Anthony Lopez at a Leon corner in the 95th minute at the velodrome. Cherky's delivery and the header at the back post from one of the smallest players on the field, Nicolas Taliafico. The Marseille fans breathe a collective sigh of relief. Now a second goal for Samuel Gigo since he arrived from Russia. A bit of money ball there from Pablo Longoria going and plucking this uh, 
local boy in the end from 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 the south coast of France to to return to Marseille. We've been in the group chat lots of jokes about Gigo, who I mentioned earlier in the season, is a basically a, a lamb cut that uh, <laughs> is very popular in the brasseries and and around France. You can always, if ever you're in doubt, you can always go for a Gigo. It's generally quite good in a, in a brasserie. And uh, Andy, a deserved win for Marseille in a game that failed probably to live up to the the heights of recent Olympicos. Yeah, re- really disappointing game. Um, really, really flat I think in many ways I mean I know that obviously the atmosphere of the velodrome means that you can't really call it a, a flat occasion but it didn't it didn't live up to expectations at all there was one yellow card um there were I, th- I think I saw that I can't really remember it exactly now but I think they were up until the last 10 minutes you know there, are, there it was the fewest shots on target a few shots on goal in a game this season then suddenly there was a, a little flurry towards the end there was a chance for Genduzzi uh, that was saved by Anthony Lopez, and then uh, Ryan Sherkey had a shot just wide at the other end. But there was very little. I mean, there was two saves of Paulo Lopez uh, that you would that you would pick out in that game, and, and Marseille a couple of balls into the box before they got the goal. Uh, disappointing. I mean, the Olympico has always been one of the fieriest uh, matches, not always for good, um, you know, not, not always for the right reasons. Obviously, we had the match between the clubs in Lyon last Mathieu year, which was, uh, which was ab- abandoned, and yeah, the Mathieu Valbuena. Um, match in Marseille a few years ago now when the game was stopped for a while, wasn't it? Because the Marseille fans uh, yep. were, were, were letting Balbuena know that they were not too happy with him. Um, yeah, disappointing. Uh, a good result. From, I mean, I was at the Velodrome along with uh, Ian Holyman in, in midweek for the match against Tottenham and that was obviously, you know, deeply disappointing ending to that game. I mean, beyond disappointing. I mean, how they let that, you know, even Europa League qualification yeah. slip from their hands at the end was just incredible. Um after a you know a, a, a great night at the velodrome again, terrific atmosphere, and they just let it all go. So for them to pick themselves up, a good up, performance for the most part, for, like a, a good first for, half for much of the game. They, they could have, I mean, yeah, and, and I mean, had that big chance at the end against Tottenham for Sead Kolasinac when he put the header wide. So it could have ended very differently. Um, I mean, the front page of the local newspaper down in Marseille, La Provence, yesterday, the front page headline was "Victory or Crisis," which kind of sums up the, the mood in Marseille at the best of times. You know that don't win this game, it's a crisis, and and. Which is a bit absurd, really, but but that was the situation in Marseille. I think Igor Tudor's job would have been um, in in a bit of you know in a bit of bit of bit of trouble if, if they hadn't got the result last night and and they held on for the victory and that's them back up to fourth in the table, seven points clear of Lyon, who were very very disappointing. You you wanted me to to talk about Samuel Gigo very briefly, so I will do that and say this yep. about Samuel Gigo because he hadn't played in Ligue 1 until this season. He was away. He played in Belgium. He was at Spartak Moscow. Marseille agreed to sign him in January, I think, and then he eventually came in the summer. But I was looking at Samuel Gigo's early career, actually, just just uh, earlier on, and he played for Arles Avignon in, in Ligue 2. Arles Avignon, the club who had that fleeting season in the top flight about, what, just over a decade ago, and then went back down hmm. to the second division, then disappeared altogether from the professional ranks. Kamel Merriam, did he go back and play for them? Kamel Merriam played for them. But so, so listen to this, right? So Arles Avignon, the last league game that Samuel Gigo played for Arlavignon, one of the last games, uh, two of his teammates, the midfield for Arlavignon that game, Teji Savanier, who's gone on to be obviously a great player for Montpellier, and Ismail Ben Nasser, who's now one of the best midfielders in Serie A with AC Milan, the Algerian international. And, and you had uh, Samuel Gigo in the defence alongside Gael Givet captaining the team. So somehow that was that was a second division team. And he went on from there to play in Belgium and, and Russia, and now, now playing in Ligue 1. It's his second goal in Ligue 1 this season because he scored the winner against Lille 
a couple of months ago. And um, he, of course, uh, was in the wars last night because he took a, a nasty knock to the head in a clash with, with one of his teammates, Jordan Veritu, which forced him off the field. So he was he was uh, the injured hero last night for Marseille, but um, it was not a good game, I have to say. Not a good game at all. Marseille out of Europe now. Quickly, is is this their chance to recuperate after during the World Cup and come back and really make a charge for to return to the Champions League again? For me, yeah. I mean, um, I I believe that. <laughs> I thought that was I thought that was addressed to Andy that one. Um, <laughs> Wake up! I, I would say that once again <laughs> we keep talking about loads of different teams in the fight. There, they'll be there or thereabouts. Um, do they have enough? I, I didn't tip them to to be on the podium at the start of the season, so I'm not going to tip them for it now. Uh, I think there's a few issues within that side, and I think that. As Andy rightly says, it's one of those clubs where crisis can very, very, very quickly set in. And once it does, it can often lead to a bit of a spiral. Uh, I didn't back them to an either against Leon. I, I thought that the spiral was very much in motion and that this was the downward trend that we see Tudor potentially uh, find himself in a little bit of trouble over the World Cup break. So we'll see if uh, if if this is the start of a bit of a renaissance and if they can kind of make their way back up the table. But prior to this match, the, the form was pretty dreadful. And I didn't see a lot inspiring in, in what I saw from Marseille on, on Sunday night. I think it was very much a case of uh, Lyon were just worse on the night and they really offered absolutely nothing in the attacking phases. Apart from Malagusto, who had a couple of occasions where he, he looked slightly dangerous. Uh, you know, Lacazette, Dembele and then Toko Kambi, who came on at halftime, were all completely absent from the game so um i think it was a case of marseille were, were just the least worst team on the night all right we're going to chat world cup very quickly but before then a quick look at the league ladder then after 14 matches paris saint-germain five five points clear of Lens, who are five points clear of ren then we have four teams covered by just a point ren 28 marseille back in the top four monaco and lorient all on 27, but Lorient are heading in the wrong direction. That's four without a win for them. Lille, Lyon and Nice round out seven, eight and nine. Clermont round out the top 10. Then there's a three-point drop back to Reims and Toulouse on 16 points. Croix on 14, Montpellier, Auxerre and Nantes just above the relegation zone. And then into that Dreaded bottom four, Ajaxio on 11 points, Strasbourg and Brest on 10, and Angers, who have lost their last five on the trot, are bottom with two wins and two draws. Eight points is all they have to show for their season so far. In the scorers' charts, Mbappe and Neymar have 11, followed by Moffi and Jonathan David on nine. With eight goals, Terrier, Lacazette and Balogun. And the, in the assists department, Messi already has 10 assists again. Neymar has nine. There are some familiar names being repeated over and over again. Five assists for Jonathan Close and Caio Enrique. Now, before we go, we're going to chat World Cup. Yes, there is a, another round of matches, obviously, coming up in France next weekend. Um, and it will be the standard Friday. I'll just run through the... The matches quickly. Lyon versus Nice, which is always traditionally one with a little bit of spice. Lens, Clermont, Rennes, Toulouse. Paris Saint-Germain are back for that early kickoff on Sunday against Auxerre, 1 p.m. French time. Brest, Troyes. Lille, Angers, Montpellier, Reims, Nantes, Ajaccio. 
Strasbourg, Lorient, and then Monaco versus Marseille. That is a tasty derby, Mediterranean derby, to close out round 15. But we have to keep moving. I want to chat Les Bleus very quickly. We know that France will play Australia, Denmark, and Tunisia in the World Cup. So uh, some big matches there for the French. They have had their injury problems. The Federation has had all sorts of issues off the pitch. We're used to this in France of the media and everyone getting on the back of the team heading into a World Cup saying they're not playing good football. They can't, you know, this is not what we, the French, want in terms of French flair. Um, And we also know that after making a final, uh, 2002 was not good. I think they finished 28th out of 32 there. They failed to score a goal. 2010, we all know what happened there after the final in, in 2006. They come into this one as defending champions, Andy. Is it going to go true to form or are they, as you just mentioned earlier, one of the top three favourites? Yeah, I, I've, I've kind of um, sort of swayed one way than the other with France for a while. I, mean, I, I think at first I was thinking, well, you know, they've got, they've got a fantastic team. Of course, they're going to go far. And then it occurred to me, well, obviously they're having these problems off the field, um, considerable injury issues. I mean, the fact is that they're without their two starting midfielders from 2018, Paul Pogba and N'Golo Conte are out and they haven't got that much strength and depth, really. Les Matuidi retired. Les Matuidi's gone. Um, you know, you're looking at Aurelien Chouameni plus one other. I think that's going to be interesting to see who it is. It might be Yusuf Fofana um, potentially because he's he's looked good when he's the couple of games he's played for France. Uh, Adrian Rabiot, another major contender. So issues in midfield, um, those things combined, along with history, as you say, 2002 was a disaster. They were eliminated after two games. They didn't score a goal. Obviously, far less win a game. There was an injury to Zinedine Zidane, which was was um, a factor back then as well, of course. Um, 2010 was on another level altogether. But um, despite these things, you know, then I've kind of swayed back the other way again and said to myself, well, they've got Karim Benzema and Kylian Mbappe and, you know, Antoine Griezmann's finding a bit of form again. Ousmane Dembele, if he can stay fit, Christopher Nkunku. They've got tremendous attacking potential. They've got so much talent. And, so and much if, talent. If, they can, if they can supply these guys and be solid enough at the back and in midfield, then they will stand a chance of, of going far. But... Um, I, I'm not sure they're going to win the World Cup. It's just hard to believe. I mean, nobody has retained the World Cup since Brazil in 1962. So um, I think that it might be somewhere in between. I don't think it's going to be a disaster. I don't think they're going to win the World Cup. That's just just my feeling at this moment in time. But they shouldn't have too many problems in the group because, um, you know, no disrespect, Robbie, I, I think Australia have one of the weakest squads going there. <laughs> I really do. And I think that, I think that Tunisia... Yeah. Um, I think that Tunisia are a fairly limited team on this level as well. I think it might be interesting, though, final point on this, that I don't, I don't know if they'll win the group because I think Denmark are a decent side and that may set up a last 16 tie against Argentina, so Mbappe, Messi, as it was in, in, in 2018. Yeah. So there is that possibility. That might be dangerous for them, might be very, very interesting indeed. So keep an eye on that one. Luke, any surprises you're expecting in, in Didier Deschamps' squad, which will be announced as usual on the evening news on Wednesday night in France? I think at this point he knows his... I, I don't think he's someone to take a risk and throw someone in at the last minute. He's not that kind of national team coach. I mean, very few national team coaches do that nowadays anyway. I mean, if you wanted a surprise package and it's someone who's not really in in the frame, is I mean, Aguilly at, uh, at Rennes, he's just been absolutely brilliant this season um but do i see him getting into the team very unlikely i think that uh, Giroud, it seems like he'll be in uh, i think he's a 
a must really I, I think that to get the best out of Mbappe you need to take him and then we're talking about the midfield partnership and that's the big big question mark and I think it's hard to make an argument of not partnering uh, Fafana and too many because this regardless of, of what what combination you go for you're going to have two midfielders who don't know each other very well it's a completely reconstructed midfield um, so I think your best option is to go for two players who know each other obviously Fafana and too many played with each other for a year at uh, just over a year even at, at Monaco so that's a midfield partnership that they're used to each other they know how they work so it's about just taking that from even though you know it's three months ago since they played together at club level uh, but I think they can really definitely replicate that and um, and, and and take that to the national team so I, I think there's a very very strong argument for for Farno from nowhere really from the start of the season I don't think anyone would have put him in in the national team uh, conversation as maybe gone to uh, first choice or second choice in, in midfield. He's uh, a fantastic talent, no doubt about that. Karen Benzema, there is some talk that he won't be ready for the first game against Australia, which uh, may just change your uh, judgment, Andy, on our, on our green and gold side, the Socceroos. They could be up for a surprise. We certainly haven't forgotten down under the, the line ball, goal line technology that gave Pogba the second and the, the no penalty on Griezmann for the first goal for France last time out as well and the Uruguayan referee who we never saw again in that tournament. But anyway, we're not going to go over all those uh, old stories yet again. This was Le Beaujeu, the Ligue 1 podcast, official Ligue 1 podcast, talking all things French football. We will be back for one more before the World Cup strikes. Thank you, Andy Scott. Pleasure. And thank you, Luke Entwistle, for joining us. Thank you very much. And we'll see you all again next week. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Here's an opportunity, Sanchez. Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta. Play it again. A goal back. Messi again. This time, maybe Messi.